0: If your dress is causing a man to look twice because of the flesh, it's immodest. Probably the best rule that I've discovered on this, that a woman should not leave uncovered a part of her body that she would not be willing to be touched. Good reason to dress modestly. Secondly, avoid danger. The danger of someone thinking that you are loose morally, exposing yourself to sinful eyes. Avoid advertising lust. Thank you for being a part of our program today. May the Lord draw near and bless each and every one. Now we're dealing with the winning wife, and we're dealing with all the issues of how she should dress, how she should adorn herself, And I think you will pick up in our sermon today that there is a great contrast between the woman who advertises herself as a prostitute and the woman who seeks to adorn herself, that men may know that she is faithful to her husband. These are the two polar opposites, and we are dealing with the winning wife that is loyal, firstly, to the Lord, and in doing so, loyal to her husband and that she does everything to declare her integrity, her morality, her purity of life. And I trust that you will be blessed today as we turn to this message. And 1 Peter chapter 3, The Winning Wife, may it be a message that will cheer your heart and encourage you. Sometimes it is difficult for God's people, for women who... Perhaps their husband is not a Christian or who is opposed to the truth. Uh, How should we live that you might exhort him and encourage him and one day win him to the ways of the Lord? Well, may the Lord be gracious and teach you, guide you from his word and help you in your service for the Savior. So that's unquestioning fidelity, verse 1. Then verse 2, you have Christian purity. The key word here is chaste, while they behold your chaste conversation. Conversation, again, is lifestyle. It is your way of life, and it's done so coupled with fear. That's not fear of your husband here. It's the fear of God. I think we can establish that from going back to chapter 2, 17, 18, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. And so uh, the chaste conversation is coupled with a fear of God. There is nothing about her ways that seeks to attract other men. Her dress, her countenance, her behavior— to ward off every other interest. And she will not advertise discontent with her own husband. Let me tell you, that has opened up an area of wrong relationships many, many times. Like, I I need a, a shoulder to cry on. And in a wife's bitter complaint of her husband, she ends up pouring out her heart to some other man, and thereby that Whole chast conversation is blown. Then Peter goes on in verses 3 and 4 to talk about the inner adornment. The inner adornment. And if you read verses 3 and 4, uh, you find that this is the adornment of the heart that is emphasized. While who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. The emphasis is uh, putting on a Christian profession and giving your heart and love to uh, your testimony as a Christian. And Peter obviously is dealing with some of the tendencies in the first generation, and I think has been an issue in all generations of people, of this love of outward fashion. Do you ever notice that little girls, even before they're two years old, they love beautiful things. They adore necklaces and scarves and shiny shoes, and they want to dress up. And of course, those little girls are immediately just showing their interest. And there are many things that people follow along with in that line. Even Jeremiah, he noted this. He said, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? No, that's the thing that attracts. It becomes the focus of many young women. Now, what Peter's dealing with here, that in the first century, there were those ungodly women. Uh, They were harlots. They were street women. And they advertised themselves and their bodies by ungodly dress. They would plant their hair, and they would have gold, or at least something that appeared like gold, and they would uh, insert it into their hair uh, to make it very obvious what they were advertising and the sin that they were desiring. And if you follow that line in verse three, uh, you know that, well, that means that a woman should never uh, wear a necklace, wear anything shiny, bright, or beautiful, that a, a woman should never do that. And it should be cut out absolutely completely. And I'm trying to find balance here. I'm trying to find the the balance between a woman who's an advertising herself as a prostitute and a woman who is trying to dress in a pleasing manner, the argument that a woman should not wear anything shiny or colorful, that she should dress dull and drab, it falls apart right here in verse 3. Because if you say that a woman then should not plait her hair, That means make her hair in some unnatural arrangement. Or that she should not wear gold at all. Where does that lead you in the final part of verse 3? I see some people smiling already. I think you get the point. That if you're going to consistently call that a Christian woman should not at all do anything with her hair, not at all wear gold or silver or any shiny material. Then the verse 3 at the end calls for that she shouldn't wear any apparel either. You'd end up with a situation of total nakedness. Now I'm pausing here and drawing attention to this because we want balance. I don't want all the women in this church coming next week in black clothing as if we have turned into a Hutterite colony. That's not what Peter is calling for. That's not what the Word of God demands of a Christian woman. There are some people who think that if a woman dresses in a shabby attire, that she's more godly. Well, maybe she's just reversed the thing and said, well, if I wear drab clothes, everybody will think I'm godly. Everybody will think I pray more. Everybody will think I walk with God better if I wear shabby, dull, dark clothing. And all the while, it's just a ruse. So what's Peter calling for? Peter is calling this Christian wife who's married to her husband that she avoid any questioning, any suggestion that she is anything but totally faithful and loyal to him in the marriage. So what is the proper adornment? I have drawn up six things to avoid. Maybe that's the easiest way to look at it. Six things to avoid. Number one, avoid immodesty. That means that if your dress is causing a man to look twice because of the flesh, it's immodest. Probably the best rule that I've discovered on this, that a woman should not... Leave uncovered a part of her body that she would not be willing to be touched. Good reason to dress modestly. Secondly, avoid danger. The danger of someone thinking that you are loose morally. Exposing yourself to sinful eyes. Avoid advertising lust. That's what these ungodly women were doing in Peter's day in the first century. And he was saying that the woman who is submissive will not do that. Avoid garments of pride, overindulgence, and rich attire. You know, if you come with that velvet jacket sparkling with jewels, or maybe not even real jewels, mock jewels, probably wouldn't be all that costly. Do you remember, you know, the Liberace kind of clothing? Uh, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And when we follow those fashions, or even go in in the area toward those fashions, well, they become garments of pride. Draw attention to yourself. I heard of someone who had an audience with the queen, and when after the audience someone said, "Well, what was the queen wearing? And he or she said, you know what? I never noticed. I never noticed. That's how a lady dresses. A lady does not dress to draw attention to herself. She dresses in a way that is befitting the surroundings, the situation, that it doesn't make you stand out, doesn't make you people say, wow, some huge halo that uh, effect that you're trying to produce. Avoid overemphasis of the body while neglecting the soul. You'll notice what Peter is saying here. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Not corruptible. Clothes are corruptible. You go to the thrift stores and you will see the cast-offs of people who paid big money for fancy clothes. And there they are. And they'll end up rags someday clothes are corruptible. And what people follow after and pursue and get excited about and proud of become rags, moth-eaten, unusable. But the hidden man of the heart, that's not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God. So I think I've given you five avoids now. One more, and that is avoid misuse of time— worrying about outer adornment, giving no care for your soul. I think it could be said to be wrong when a woman gives more time to her clothing than to devotion unto the Lord. After all, we're all trying to manage our time, and to find that time is our struggle day in and day out. On your deathbed, which will you wish that you attended more to? The clothing of your body or the feeding of the inner soul, the new nature, the grace of the Lord Jesus? This is what Peter's addressing here. This is what he's dealing with. The graces of a Christian wife. The next one we will find, 5, verses 5 and 6, that she is trusting in God. It says here, after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Now you'll notice, Sarah, that she trusted in God. And that's grace. That's faith and faith sees the value of the eternal things and the spiritual things. Unbelief only cares about what man sees. The Christian full of faith cares about what the Lord sees. And if you read verse 4 again, uh, you'll notice this ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. In the sight of God is of great price. Now, many worldly, fashionable women They want to buy clothing that will make people say, But where did you buy that? It must have cost you a fortune. It's so expensive looking. But the Christian woman, she wants to dress to have the well done of God, to be pleasing in his sight. And so I've gone down this chapter. We've looked at the goal of the Christian woman, We have looked at the graces of the Christian woman. We come now to the genius of submission. The genius of submission. It glorifies God. That's the first thing. Christ, in the example that he has given us in submission, even to the cross, even to the agonies of the suffering of Calvary, Christ pleased not himself. And sister in the Lord, I'm talking now as Peter addresses women, and especially those who may have husbands that are not walking with God. Christ pleased not himself, but he submitted to the rigors and the pain of the cross. And you, as a Christian now, are called to endure, as a Christian wife, the burden, the Hmm. mission of submitting that you might be a living witness unto your husband. And through a life of submission, you will be found faithful to your task, faithful to the Lord, faithful to your husband, however menial, however unnoticed by the world or by the church, to stay at your station, to continue at your task. There is the genius of serving the Lord and knowing his blessing. Back in First Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus. The trial of your faith. And you think of a Christian woman whose husband is an ungodly man. Perhaps he's rude and crude and, and carnal, and all the hurt and the injuries that uh, that a Christian wife endures, the trial of your faith, that you might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus. The opposite, of course, is to rebel, to harp, to hinder, to pull down God's order and institution of marriage. The opposite to meekness It's ugly. It's ugly. And instead of that beautiful example of submission that a Christian woman may give, the opposite is absolutely ugly. In the sight of God, in the sight of others, it makes you to be a rebel, a complainer, discontent. Now, Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, he had a few things to say about this. I want to give you a couple of verses in the Psalm—or sorry, the Proverbs 2715. Psalms, Proverbs. And in chapter 2715, you're probably going to know these words when we read them, and you'll find that they reinforce uh, that submission is a genius. It's a stroke of genius. It wins every time. The opposite is absolutely horrendous. Proverbs 27 15. He that blesseth, blesseth his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Well, we've got that continual dropping day to day. And I have a gutter at the front of our home, and for some reason, the the water seems to always sit in it. And there's a corner joint that if you don't walk by quickly, it'll drip on you. And it's a continual pest. It's a dripping of water, a continual dripping. And even when the rain's over and the sun is out, that water seems to go for hours and sometimes a long time. It's a problem. Going to have to fix it. And here is Solomon saying in this word of wisdom uh, that a woman uh, that is contentious, She is like that dropping in a very rainy day. Chapter 25 and verse 24. 25, verse 24. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman and in a white house. Oh, we smile, don't we? This seems hilarious, but it's ugly. It's ugly. It turns a home into a place of torment, fear, disgrace, and it denies the whole profession of Christianity. Proverbs 21, verse 19 is another such verse. It's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Now, wives, I know you're not saints, and we know that we're not perfectly sanctified this side of heaven, And there are things that will get a wife upset. And sometimes husbands are the problem. But if you are a continual, discontented, nagging wife, you will miss the mark of 1 Peter 3. You will not be a winning wife. You will drive your husband away. Away from you and away from the Lord. And so the genius... Of living as a Christian wife is submission. It's genius. It wins. It works. Now, men and women of this world think that it's meek and it's to be a defeatist, but it is the weapon, the grace, the power of God to heal, to draw, to attract, to bless. The joy of being the wife of one husband, to have his trust and his confidence, to earn his respect and trust, to live in the security of his care, to be a minister of the gospel, not preaching with words, but preaching with your life and your attitude and your love. And it's the path which the Savior trod. And you'll be walking in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus himself. And I can only take you back to chapter 221 because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example of submission, enduring. And we learned this morning how our Lord went to the cross gladly, not in protest. He took up that cross joyfully that he might be our Savior. You'll never be blamed for submission. But you will be blamed if you have a spirit that is discontent. The Lord can use submission. The Lord will bless submission. The Lord will hear the prayers of the submissive wife. And you will be a blessing through submissive service. I read a story in a book of anecdotes. And as anecdotes go, sometimes we wonder, where did they ever come from? And we don't always have the source. And this is one of them. It's of a a noble example of this spirit of submission by a Christian woman. Her husband was not saved, and he ran with a worldly crowd. He had a gang of friends that were mockers and scoffers to the gospel. One night he was out late with them, rampaging about, and he said to them, You know, my wife, I guarantee you that if we all were to return home now at this late hour of the night— and awakened her out of her sleep and said, we want you to serve supper to us all immediately, she would do it. And of course, the other guy scowled, your wife couldn't be that way. Yes, I guarantee you. And so they rose to the challenge, and they all returned to his house, barged in late at night, turned on the lights, making a racket. And he awoke his wife and said, we all need food. And sure enough, as he predicted, She arose in that late night hour, prepared food, put it on the table, and fed that rather intrusive gang of men. They all asked her, why do you do this? And her explanation was this. When we got married, we were living dangerously in this world. The Lord has saved me and made me a Christian, and I am now saved. But my husband continues in danger, and he's headed for a life of misery. And I feel that it is my calling to do all that I can in this world to minister to him that he may be provided for. And I think if there be my duty to render his present existence as comfortable as possible. Well, the whole company was greatly affected, including her own husband. And the story in this anecdote goes that from that night, he was a changed man and became a Christian man. And that woman, through her amazing example of submission, became a serious Christian and a good husband. This woman won by submission. Now, I would like, (laughs) I can't do it, of course, but I just wonder how many women today would rise to such a challenge. I just wonder. But there will be other avenues of opportunity. It could be that lunch. It could be that dirty set of boots that seem to ruin your housekeeping. It could be some other bad habit. It could be some other demand that you seem totally unreasonable. But because you're on a mission to win your husband, You use that opportunity, you take that as your opportunity to win your husband by your conversation, while they behold, they see it, and you live it. God is glorified. You have the joy of a Christian in the midst of it, and God can work in grace. Without that submission, we cannot expect God to work in grace. It is that winning stroke, and you will become a winning wife. May it be so. May the Lord help us all. Now, next week, men, come back. Come back. We'll get to verse 7. Likewise, it begins. What I've said tonight to wives, I've got to say things to you. So come back. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher, and I hope that you have been blessed and helped through this message on how the wife may win her husband. And my sympathy goes out to many godly women who love the Lord, love His Word, and every day they face the challenge of winning their husband to the Lord. Sometimes husbands become materialistic. Sometimes they lose the zeal for the Lord. Sometimes they get disenfranchised with church life, and they leave the spiritual burden to the wife. That ought not to be, but we're living in a fallen world where too often many women are carrying the load. My prayer goes out that the Lord will strengthen you, encourage you, and build you up in your faith, and make you strong in the Lord. And I trust that each and every day that you will find the Lord leading and helping you. And above all, the Lord will answer prayer that your husband will become a Christian, be saved, and turn to the Lord. Now, tomorrow I'll be speaking to the men because Peter doesn't leave the men without a word of challenge. And uh, it is an essential thing that Christian men are challenged on how to live the life of the gospel. So do join us.
1: You can contact us using our office number, which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel